You know, this, this past week, church, I've been thinking a lot about my grandmother. In uh, March of 2006, my grandmother, uh, Thelma Murray, passed away. Very precious woman. And I remember in March of 06, uh, Christy and I made the two-hour drive from Lexington down to Glasgow, Kentucky, where there was a, a funeral and a visitation. And while we were there at the visitation, uh, people would come through and say some very kind words about my grandmother and um, her, her marriage to my grandfather and just how precious they were. But there were two women who spoke to my mom and told my mom how my grandmother had led them to faith in Christ. You see, for 40 years, my grandmother taught second grade Sunday school. She taught the scriptures to young children. In fact, every Christmas, she would make an apron for the girls in her class. In fact, I've got a picture of one of the aprons that she would make. Just so precious. And it's amazing just to hear the stories of my grandparents and how God used them in their church. Her husband, my grandfather, Felix Murray, was a banker there in Glasgow. Uh, a man who never lost a penny on a handshake loan. Uh, a day and age in which your word was your bond. And he served as a deacon at their church. He loved the church. They served the church. He would often provide wise counsel to the pastor and encouragement and prayer to their leadership there in the church. And I'm just so grateful for this dynamic duo. This husband and wife who worked together to not only serve the church, but to advance the kingdom. It's a picture of another husband and wife combo that we see in Acts chapter 18. Priscilla and Aquila, a wife and a husband who love Jesus and who have a monumental impact on the kingdom. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. If you're new to the Bible, I'm so glad you're here. You can grab your Bible, turn to the table of contents in the very front of your Bible. You'll see that the Bible is broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Acts is in the New Testament. It is the fifth book of the New Testament. You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are what's called the four Gospels. Those four Gospels walk through the life and the ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus. But then we get to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the movement of the Holy Spirit to take the gospel that began in Jerusalem and how it has spread throughout the ends of the earth. We as a faith family are walking through this great historical narrative, this story of how the gospel is transforming people's lives all over the world. It's been amazing to think about, even right now as I think about the men from our church who are in Mexico who are preaching the gospel amongst those who have never heard. What began in Mexico is continuing on to this day. What began in the book of Acts is continuing on into this day. Y'all, I'm going to get it right one of these days, I promise you. We saw last week the Apostle Paul had completed his second missionary journey. He then boomerangs right back out to start his third missionary journey. But before he completed his second journey, he dropped his friends, Priscilla and Aquila, off in Ephesus. It's there that they would preach the gospel. His plan was to eventually come back to Ephesus and pick up right where he left off. Now, some of your translations begin with verse 24 in Acts chapter 18. It begins with the word meanwhile or the word now. 
You see, as Paul is away, he is soon going to be returning back to Ephesus. And so Luke, the author of Acts, is describing what's happening with Priscilla and Aquila while they wait for Paul to come back. So look with me. Acts chapter 18, jump down to verse 24, and the scripture says this. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he only knew John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah." One Sabbath day, Priscilla and Aquila go into the synagogue and hear a phenomenal preacher, a preacher by the name of Apollos. Now, Luke not only describes for us what kind of preacher Apollos was, but also the importance of his encounter with Priscilla and Aquila. I want you to notice in the text how Luke sketches Apollos the preacher, what this means for us today. The first sketch I want you to see in the text, I want you to see Apollos, the eloquent preacher. Apollos, the eloquent preacher. You can imagine the joy of Priscilla and Aquila that they feel when they hear this traveling evangelist coming through their synagogue, preaching the Old Testament in light of the person and work of Jesus Christ. They are blown away that this man comes in and he's walking through the Old Testament scriptures and he's exalting Christ. He's preaching Jesus. He is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that all of the Old Testament is pointing forward to a Messiah who would come. And here is Apollos holding up Christ. That he lived a perfect, sinless life. He displayed his ministry by serving and caring for the weak and the poor, teaching powerful truths, and ultimately proving his deity not only through his miracles, but through his death and physical bodily resurrection from the dead. That this Savior who bled and died, died for the sins of the world. That anybody who turns from their sin, turns from their dead religion, and they trust in Jesus by faith, you are received by God. You are forgiven forever. You are accepted in Christ forever. And this Savior who bled and died was placed in a tomb, but rose again on the third day, offering eternal life to all who believe. This is the gospel that Apollos is preaching and Priscilla and Aquila and they hear this man preaching and you can imagine just the joy. But Luke describes him as an eloquent man. He was skilled in his speech. Apollos was articulate. He was persuasive. He was smooth spoken. Now there's a sense in which that's a good thing. Now we as followers of Jesus we don't like boring preaching, okay? I, and as a preacher, I know that. I do everything within me not to put you asleep. I am eager to be compelling and persuasive and articulate. But here's the reality. We have the most interesting person as our subjects. 
The most compelling content as our manuscript. The most fascinating story as our gospel. There is no yawning in the presence of God. And the preacher must think himself clear. He must pray himself hot so that the people of God encounter the Son of God through the preaching of the Word of God. Now, we also have to be careful. Because just because someone is polished and persuasive does not mean that they're faithful. In fact, the Apostle Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. You can make a note, that day is already here. That people will raise up teachers and preachers who will tickle their ears, make them feel good all the way to hell. You see, it matters not how someone preaches, but ultimately, what do they say? It matters the the content. Wes would be on guard against golden-tongued preachers who do not preach the truth of the Bible. You've got to be on guard continually watchful, protective of the truth. we got to listen close, not just to how someone speaks, but what are they saying? You see, we are a people who choose truth over entertainments, content over comedy, scripture over spectacle, exegesis over exhibition. You see, the preacher should never be the hero of the sermon. The hero of every sermon is Jesus because the hero of the Bible is Jesus. You see, the Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus. And when you trust in Jesus, the Bible then tells us all that is true about us when we bank our souls upon Jesus, who he is, what he's done. When you surrender your life to Jesus, the Bible begins to unpack that. But we are in danger the moment we begin to think that all of it is about us. So we got to be careful here. That as you listen to preaching, just because someone is persuasive or compelling or articulate, it does not mean that they are faithful. You see, being an extrovert with panache and moxie is not a prerequisite to faithfulness that we see in 1 Timothy 3 or Titus chapter 1. And yet, simultaneously, this does not mean that as believers, we should not continually seek to grow to be articulate in our speech to be persuasive with our arguments, or to be eloquent in our preaching. By all means, let's be the very best that we can be for the glory of God. I pray for myself regularly, God, make me a better preacher, not for my name's sake, but for yours. And what a good thing, you can be praying for yourself, Lord, make me a more faithful witness. Make me more eloquent with my words. Learn the language of the people you're trying to reach and speak it well. Learn that language and speak it as clearly and as articulately as you can. What we see here with Apollos is here is an eloquent preacher. A man who was able to use his words and have an incredible impact on his hearers. The second sketch that Luke gives us in regards to Apollos is we see that Apollos is the knowledgeable preacher. Apollos the knowledgeable preacher. Luke tells us that Apollos was from Alexandria. He's African. He's from Egypt. An important seaport city of Alexandria is a significant place in the Roman Empire. It was a center of philosophy. 
The lighthouse of Alexandria was one of the seven wonders of the world. The library of Alexandria was world-renowned with all the manuscripts and the knowledge that was held within there. Well, see, Apollos grew up there. He grew up in a cosmopolitan culture of deep thinking and education. He was Jewish, so he probably grew up going to synagogue. Look at verse 24. It says he was competent in the use of the scriptures. Verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. That word for instructed, verse 25, it means catechized. So we get the word for catechism, implying that Apollos had received formal training. He was educated. But this was not just a head knowledge that Apollos had. The Holy Spirit had put within him a burning passion for the truth. You see, in the original language of verse 25, it says that he was fervent in the Spirit. That the Holy Spirit had stirred within him a white-hot passion for the Lord. I, I love how the King James translates verse 24. That he was mighty in the Scriptures. I love that. Apollos loved his Bible. Now remember, the New Testament had not been written yet. At this point, what was his text? The Old Testament. The Old Testament was what he had. And what did he do with the Old Testament? He would preach it in light of the person and work of Jesus. Look at verse 25. He was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus. Luke is showing us Apollos has a Christocentric view of interpreting the Old Testament. That we as followers of Jesus, we rightly understand the Old Testament scriptures in light of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15, who will crush the head of the serpent. That Jesus is the blessing of Abraham for the nations. That Jesus is the greater King David who will sit and rule and reign on his throne forever. That Jesus is our great high priest. He is the temple. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the access into the Holy of Holies. It's amazing how all of the Old Testament is driving us through the person and work of Jesus. So as Apollos is there in the synagogue in Ephesus, he's preaching, he's persuasive, and he's taking Old Testament scriptures, and he's showing them in light of the person and work of Jesus. But as he's preaching, Priscilla and Aquila sniff out a hole in his theology. The text says he only knew of John's baptism. John the Baptist's ministry was significant in God's redemptive plan. He set the stage. He prepared the way for Jesus to come as the Messiah. You see, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, meaning people would get baptized and they would be declaring that they're turning away from their sin and they were identifying with the message of John the Baptist. And they're saying, okay, he's saying there's a Messiah coming and so I'm going to believe and trust in that. But still for Apollos, as he's preaching Jesus, he's still preaching the message of John the Baptist when it comes to baptism. His knowledge was still not um, thorough. It was incomplete. It was, it was deficient. It's kind of like printing off directions from MapQuest when you have GPS as an option. The information was incomplete. There was more 
that he didn't quite understand or grab hold of. And so this is what leads to something that is pretty incredible, which I think is the, my favorite of all the sketches, is sketch number three, Apollos the humble preacher. As Priscilla and Aquila notice in Apollos preaching a need for theological accuracy, they pull him aside. Literally, it says they received him. They probably had him over for dinner. Hey, hey come on over to our, our house. We, we want to spend some time talking with you about something. I love this. They don't publicly rebuke him. They don't embarrass him in front of the entire synagogue or the crowd that is gathered. They don't do that. They're displaying a Christ-like manner of humility, of correcting a brother or a sister in Christ. See, the way they're correcting him, it communicates a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of wisdom. See, Apollos is a high-capacity preacher who should be corrected. So they privately pull him aside and respectfully, humbly speak truth into the gap in his theology. This is a posture of humility. It takes some courage. And it takes some humility to step into someone's life, put your arm around them and say, listen, there's some things in your life, some things in your theology that are not clear. There's some things we gotta clean up. And I love you and I care about you and so I want to instruct you in the way that you should go. It's a beautiful picture of humility. It reminds me of what Paul tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 2. He says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. But I also want you to think about the humility on Apollos' part, what is the occupation of Priscilla and Aquila? They're tent makers. They work with their hands. They're blue collar. And here is Apollos. All of his formal training, all of his preparation and knowledge, he could have easily said to them, you don't know who you're talking to. My name's Apollos. I got diplomas hanging on my wall. I got letters coming after my name. Who do you think you are coming and trying to correct me? That's not what he does. He's humble. He's rebukable. He's correctable. Question, when someone confronts you, how do you respond? Do you fold your arms or do you open your hands? Do you bow up? Or do you get low? You see, your response to correction is a reflection of your heart. How you respond when people correct you, when it comes to your life, your speech, your conduct, your, your thinking, your theology, how do you respond when someone pushes back or disagrees or rubs you the wrong way? See, Apollos was rebukable. He was open to correction. You see, being teachable is a fruit of humility. Here's a man who receives a rebuke like a kiss on the lips. Proverbs 24, 26. That like Proverbs 9, 8, a wise man loves rebuke. See, in this room, 
there's nobody batting a thousand. All of us in this room are still in desperate need of correction and instruction. All of us in this room are still people in desperate need of grace and truth. One of the things I've, I've shared this with you before is that I've told my kids they have access to my life like that. If at any point they see dad acting differently Monday through Saturday than they do see on Sunday, they have freedom to speak into my life. I ask them to do it. But I have two rules. Do it privately and do it respectfully. That's what we see happening here with the tone of Priscilla and Aquila. It's like they're putting their arm around Apollos and pulling him out aside privately and they're instructing him on how to rightly think about God and his word. There's a hole in your theology and we want to fill it in for you. Let me ask you a question. Now, who taught Priscilla and Aquila sound doctrine? Well, it's the Apostle Paul. They had spent many, many days, months with this guy. They had learned sound doctrine. And so now they're taking this truth and they are applying it to this preacher who is eloquent and powerful. But may I say to you, no matter how many degrees you have hanging on your wall, no matter how many letters come after your name, you are still in desperate need of correction. You need people in your life who will tell you the truth about yourself. Not in an unchristlike manner, but one in which when they correct you or speak into your life, the question is, how do you receive it? But I also think it's really important, y'all, that we don't speed past the significant role of women in ministry. Priscilla was vital to the discipleship theological growth, and spiritual influence on Apollos. You see, matriarchs play a significant role in the discipleship of the church. The voice of women speaking truth into the lives of men and women, it matters. Let me share with you one of the most influential leaders that most have never heard of. It's a woman by the name of Henrietta Mears. Henrietta Mears was a 20th century Christian educator, evangelist, and author. She's best known for her ministry in Hollywood, California, where she worked at a church as a Sunday school program leader, where under her leadership, the Sunday school went from 400 to 6,400. She led a college Bible study. She started a publishing clearinghouse called Gospel Light. She started retreats and camps for teenagers and young adults. She had direct impact on the founders of Young Life, Campus Crusade for Christ, Athletes in Action, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, Pasadena, Trinity Evangelical Theological Seminary in Chicago. Through her teaching, she impacted the life of Ronald Reagan's pastor in Bel Air. Thousands of people have been impacted by her teaching. But there's one story that stands out to me. In the late 1940s, Billy Graham attended one of her week-long conferences. Now, at this point in his life and ministry, Billy Graham was not well known. He was not a household name. People didn't know who he was. But also at the same time, when he attended this conference, he was struggling Internally, he was wrestling with this question, is the Bible really the word of God? 
Can I truly trust that Scripture really is God's Word? And he was struggling. He was losing sleep trying to discover what is the truth of the matter. With all of these doubts, he was struggling. Henrietta Mears discipled him. She encouraged him. She spoke truth into his life. She promised, I'm going to be praying for you every day. He experienced a personal breakthrough. After this retreat, he got alone with the Lord in the forest, and he put a Bible on a tree stump, and he said, Lord, by faith, I'm going to believe that this Bible really is your word. Within a matter of about a month, he would be in Los Angeles starting a crusade where the Holy Spirit fell. Thousands of people come to faith in Christ, and it's the Los Angeles Crusades that put Billy Graham on the map. And through his preaching ministry, he would eventually, throughout his life, preach the gospel to more people than anyone in history. Here's what Billy Graham had to say about Henrietta Mears. He said, Mears had faith in the integrity of the scriptures and an understanding of Bible truth as well as modern scholarship. I was desperate for every insight she could give me. He would go on to say, Mears is the single most influential woman in my life other than my own mother and wife. Women, do not underestimate the impact that you can have on people's lives. That you have the influence to shape, direct, instruct, and correct men and women in pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's happening here in the text in Acts 18. Priscilla with her husband, Aquila, are investing in a young preacher named Apollos. They put their arm around him. They walk alongside him. They pull him to the side and say, come over here. We want to speak into your life. There are women in this church, women in this room, who have done that in my life. You have instructed me. You have corrected me. And I'm better for it. Thank you. We need that in our lives. People who will come alongside us and speak truth into our lives. What we see in the life of Apollos is a humble preacher. A man who was willing to receive correction and rebuke. But did you see what it leads to as he receives this correction? It leads to sketch number four. Apollos, the impactful preacher. We see in verse 27, Apollos, he wants to go to Achaia. He wants to go to Corinth. So he is headed to where Paul had already spent 18 months planting a church, preaching the gospel, making disciples. And it's likely that Priscilla and Aquila, who had just come from Corinth with Paul, are telling Apollos about the incredible work that's happening there in Corinth. So he has this desire. He's like, well, I want to go. I want to go to Corinth and see what's happening there. I want to go invest in these people. So when he gets to Corinth, verse 27, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. You see, Paul, Apollos came alongside, and on all of the seeds that Paul had already planted, he begins to water. He begins to teach. He begins to instruct. In fact, the Apostle Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. What a reminder to preachers in particular, but the church in general, that we are standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. That we are not a self-made people. It's not like we just arrived and we were here and we're crushing it. No, there are those who have gone before us 
Paul went and laid a foundation of a, imagine a farmer going out and preparing the field. He plants the seeds and along comes Apollos and he waters the soil. He's teaching from the scriptures about who Jesus is and God begins to do a work in the hearts of the people of Corinth. Now sadly, it began, uh, there, there began to be some uh, cliques that were breaking out in the church. Some began to argue about who was their favorite preacher. Some say, I follow Apollos. And others said, well, I follow Paul. And others were saying, well, I follow Cephas. And then the super spiritual, they said, well, I follow Christ. You see this division taking, break, uh, taking place in, in the church. But it's amazing how Paul, he goes on to address that in his letter of 1 Corinthians. He says, let no one boast in human leaders, but let him who boasts Boast in the Lord. To say it succinctly, uh, be thankful for faithful teachers, but ultimately you worship the Lord. Jesus Christ is first place in your heart and life, and there is no competition. Second place is far in the distance in regards to your allegiance to Jesus. In Corinth, they were trying to elevate the preacher instead of elevating the Savior. But while he's there, Apollos is vigorously, he is powerfully refuting the Jews in public. He is demonstrating through the scriptures, verse 28, that Jesus is the Messiah. Just as he did in Ephesus in verse 25, he's doing it in Corinth in verse 28. And he's pointing to Jesus as the true hero of the Bible. Oh, this is so good. So here we are. 2,000 years later, Kenneth, what are you calling us to do? What's your impact point? It's this. Study your Bible and point people to Jesus every day this week. Get your nose in the book, y'all. If you've gotten away from your daily Bible reading, it's time to return. You're still loved by Jesus. So come back. Get your, your face in the book. Spend some time in the scriptures and really dig in and let this, the roots of your faith sink into the soil of scripture. Allow your soul to be nourished with the word. And once you leave your knees in prayer, you get up and you go and point people to Jesus. This is what Apollos was doing. He would study the scriptures and he would preach Christ. There are people in your life right now, in your classroom, on the ball field, in the boardroom, in your own home, who are in desperate need of Christ. What an opportunity that you and I have to study the scriptures and then to tell people who he is and what he has done. It's amazing to think about. That the gospel that began in Jerusalem has carried on for thousands of years. Millions upon millions of people who believe the gospel because of preachers. Preachers like Apollos and Paul. Preachers like Priscilla and Aquila. Preachers like Felix and Thelma. Maybe you're here today and wondering how in the world can I make my life count for the kingdom? Stare at Acts 18. And oh, that you would study the scriptures and point the world around you to the Lord Jesus Christ.